Alan Crane Productions, in association with the Emergent Life Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Spring Semester 2024. Today, Foundations of Finance. To start out with, as I said before I started this podcast, we are a quantitative subject. Finance is a subdiscipline of economics. You will read various places, well, it's part of accounting, or it's a combination of accounting and economics. No, it is neither of, it's not accounting at all. Accounting is its own field. It happens to be a field that I will make lots of jokes about, but it is an important field, but it has very little in its core assumptions to do with finance. Now, in your accounting course, they, they went ahead and they think that they can teach you finance, but they're starting from a different basis. <clears throat> the fundamental difference is that accounting uses historical information. That's what it has to use. It has to have receipts. It has to have documentation. We can't care about that. All that matters to us in finance is the future. Where we are now and what is to come. It's expectations, estimates, and all of that. It's very much like a chess board. Chess is a game that's called a Markovian process because the state of the chess pieces at the present time is all that matters to what the optimal next move is. In other words, how those pieces got there is irrelevant to us. This is the same thing that happens with stock prices. What the stock price has been, even a minute before, has no meaning to the prediction of where it will be in the next minute, or the next day, or the next year. That is where we have to distinguish ourselves from other subjects, like accounting. And I will give accounting due recognition, but I will also show a great deal of disrespect for it, which is just the way I do things. But I need to get on to a couple of other subjects here, too. One important part of finance is objectivity. Objectivity is, in other words, we do not go into this subject with political or emotional biases. If you are a Biden lover or a Trump MAGA, I don't care. You cannot let that influence how you are evaluating financial decisions. How, what is the best way to proceed? It is not a uh, I feel or I believe kind of subject at all. And so you need to get that out of your thinking as you go forward in this class. It's all to do with technical mathematics. Interestingly enough, years and years ago, when I was uh, involved in physics and astronomy, uh, when I came over to finance, I saw the formulas looked, well, these, this is the same thing uh, as in a physics lecture. Yeah, we are using the same principles that are across the universe in our field. So that's what matters to us, is this objective, universal kind of perspective. 
I hate to tell you, tell you this, but you are the future. You are the leaders of the future, and you have got a big problem in front of you. I may have mentioned that I'm certified by IBM in artificial intelligence. It's going to eliminate about 40% of the jobs in this country, most of them at high thinking level, within the next 25 years or so. And that is according to uh, Bloomberg, Forbes, and Wall Street Journal are all estimating that will be the impact of artificial intelligence. You can get in front of it and be a creator or you can be left by the wayside in this ridiculous revolution that's coming at us. It's already here, it's just been quiet so far, uh, unfortunately. So anyway, let me try something here. First of all, this is a capitalist field of learn uh, field of interest in the United States. The idea, well, we've got a lot of socialism here. Oh, bull crap. We don't have that. We are capitalists. And that may be to your liking, it may be to your disliking, but that's the reality of it. So we have to follow a capitalist model in how we approach any issue in finance. We have to make some assumptions behind it. I teach uh, in other countries and for uh, wealthy people and for ministries of finance in West Africa and the islands. They often come in with degrees from universities, but they've had a great deal of infusion from the European model, which is, is more socialist. And I'm gonna get that in this class, and it's going to be uncomfortable for you sometimes, and I'll make it uncomfortable for you here in a few minutes. But you must understand that we work on the object, objective assumption that greed is not bad. You, madam, are a bread maker. You make bread. Now, you're the only bread maker in the whole town. So, in your bread shop, you can charge whatever you want. That means you don't have any incentive to be efficient. You take a big handful of flour and you take it over to the pot. Half of it falls out. Just charge more this time. You are not efficient with your use of that resource. You hire your lazy ass brother here who just sits in the basement eating Cheetos and playing World of Warcraft. Really? World of Warcraft? The old people's game? Do you even lift? Okay. You're inefficient, but you don't care because you can charge whatever you want for your bread. Now, madam, have you ever seen someone who doesn't deserve all the money he has? Elon Musk comes to mind. Kanye comes to mind. You understand that you look at her and say, she doesn't deserve that money. I know how to have money. I buy good things with my money, yeah. Full disclosure, I'm an Amazon hoe. Okay, so, you know, I'll go there and buy. But you used to look at her and you say, you know what, all I'd have to do is not waste resources. I wouldn't, I would measure my flour to be careful with putting it in. I wouldn't hire that guy for my, for 
he's supposed to be the chief information officer. You know what information he has? These Cheetos are delicious. That's his information. You don't need that. All you have to do is be efficient with your resources. That's called static efficiency. Static efficiency is just the efficient use of the resources you have, the factors of production. That's static efficiency. Now, you, madam, you look at this woman and you say, scoundrel, you can do it better. Because what you'll do is you're saying, you know what, she's making money and I could do better and I could charge a lower price and take our customers because all I'd have to do is not hire people to make the bread. I could use machines to do it. I could stop using the old-fashioned light bulbs, use LEDs. I could rearrange the production line with new kinds of conveyor belts. I could use computerized systems. In other words, what you're doing is you are altering the arrangement of the factors of production. You are altering the technology. Now, in your lives, when you hear the word technology, it's always about computers. Technology in your home, technology in your car, technology in your ass. Yeah, you're hearing technology used in a very narrow sense. Technology is something that humans have been doing since the beginning of our species and before that. It is altering the way that we do things. When the Neolithics went to the Clovey Point from the older technology of making uh, points. When the, uh, in the Middle Ages, they went from beating the corn to the thrashing machines that they said went till and frau. Those were technological changes. When they went from the ships with the single hull uh, uh, reinforcement to the double hull reinforcement so that they could do battle better against cannon. That was a technological improvement. We've been doing it our, throughout history. And you are going to do it to take her business away from her. And because you can charge a lower price because you're doing it a lot more efficiently. When you are replaced by a, an artificial intelligence, you can sit back, wow, that's just technology changing. While you starve to death. But, of course... This kind of change is dynamic efficiency. Dynamic efficiency is changing the technology to create a more efficient output. Dynamic efficiency, changing the technology. Okay, now, let's get down to it. Madam, you did not start your business and work on static efficiency because you love people and you want to charge a lower price. Well, these people are paying such a high price. I'm going to start a business that charges a lower price because I love people. Bullshit. You did it because you wanted to make money. And you did it for the same reason. We are being driven to be better, not because, oh, you know, in marketing, we care about our customers. We love them. They are number one in our minds. Bullshit. We are in the business to make money. That's the reality of it. If you can't live with that, 
then perhaps North Korea would be a great place where you live and die for Kim Jong-un, or Russia where you live and die for Vladimir Putin, most likely die in a tank from a drone. You understand what I'm saying here? It has nothing to do with loving people or wanting to make the world better. We're making the world better. Yes, we are. Saving on resources, pushing technological boundaries. But you did it not because you care about anyone but yourself. You did it to drive her out of business and make her go to a community college instead of listening to the greatest professor on earth, me. <laughs> That's greed. Greed is not an evil. Greed is good. Greed clarifies what is important. But there's a problem with this. You're, you now control the bread market. You got it. It's yours. You are the bread queen. But what happens if your bread tastes like ass? <laughs> you got to decide. Our bread tastes like ass. Mom tries to take her little boy in there. No, mommy, I don't want that bread. That bread tastes like ass. Oh, shut up. There's kids in other countries who'd love to have an ass sandwich right about now. You see, you cannot succeed if your greed carries you to the point where your product is ass. You understand? This is the control mechanism on us. Now, it may be through, well, we're just going to lose business. But if we can't read Clueville uh, sending us text messages, then we have Mr. Government come in and kick our asses if we're poisoning people with butt bread. Okay? You understand what I'm saying here is that if we don't do it ourselves, there will be someone who does it for us. Our consumers will. The government will or even the nature of our product will if we ignore the signs that our greed is driving us too far. The problem is, of course, that sometimes that takes, too it takes a long time when you get into such situations where companies do not read the messages until people have been hurt or until serious damage has been done. But know this, the owners of the capital, the controllers, the owners of the company are the ones to which we answer. We answer to them because they are the ones who can remove us. We don't answer to the consumers, not directly. We don't answer to the government, not directly. We do down the road. We do not answer to Mother Earth directly. So this idea of the stakeholders is fantasy. All that matters to us is the maximization of the wealth of the owners. If we're the owners, we're in it for ourselves. If the owners have hired us, then we're in it for them. That's just the reality of it. So there is the layout of what we are thinking here. In everything that I do in this class, it's going to be, at, there will be the hidden question, what is the incentive? And the incentive is greed, measured, controlled, circumscribed by the forces that can break us. Whether that is the employees, the consumers, the government, the environment, 
they do, con- they do put limits on us. I bring up in this, case, in this uh, part of the lecture, climate change. Whether or not you believe in it doesn't matter at all to the world or to corporate decision making. Almost every one of the Fortune 500 companies knows it's coming and it's going to be bad. We've got AI kicking our asses this way. We've got climate change kicking our asses this way. You would not believe the number of companies that are moving production facilities off the coastal regions right now. The agribusinesses that are modifying, making frankenfoods that can stand up to weather, bizarre weather changes and environmental changes. This is all happening. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, it's coming at us. And so our greed, to st- part of our greed would be, well, we're not going to do anything different. And that's going to hurt us if we don't look forward. We cannot look to the, to the past. Well, it's right for my dad and mom. Well, it's going to be right for me. We can't do that. We've got to look out at the horizon and what is there. And what's on the horizon, as always, is never pretty. But for you folks, it's going to be a game changer. And that's why, thank God, you have the best professor who's ever lived teaching you. And not, no modesty in that. I understand. Uh, now, well, that's the latest it's been today. Okay, uh, let me go through a couple of other issues in this regard. As I had told you before, I will have you look using Excel a lot in this class. Get used to it. I've given you two different paths to get strong. The Excel crash course from Wall Street Prep is $30. It'll give you a badge in LinkedIn, and you should be on LinkedIn now if you're not, get there. And that way employers will know, oh, you're ready to walk into a workplace. Because when you walk in there, they're going to have Excel sheets that even I wondered. I I asked the question, WTF, I can't even read this. They, it is all being carried on Excel. Now, a couple of things. LinkedIn has a weaker course. It's weak, uh, but it's still, it does some things you're going to need. And I'll tell you, you can take the Wall Street Prep course for $30. If you want to, you can cheat. They're $12.95. I'll even tell you where you can get the answer key for the final exam in Wall Street Prep for their Excel crash course. Uh, if that's how you want to conduct your life. It's your call. Uh, but at the same time, if you go through it, it says eight hours. <laughs> I just did the latest version of it. It took me took me 16 hours. So if you're going to do the Wall Street Prep version, get started early in the course, and then you don't have to plow. You can do like one section a week for, uh, for nine, ten weeks and get there. But if you do the LinkedIn section, I don't know, that one... Shouldn't take you more than about two, three hours to do that one. Like I said, it won't show you everything that's going on. The big things in business right now in Excel are uh, obviously all of your functions. Using your hands instead of the mouse is absolutely critical. We're all used to using the mouse in Excel and everything else. That is extraordinarily inefficient. And one of the marks that you really do know Excel is you don't use the mouse very often at all. So that's what 
that gets you up to speed on that. They also, important in business now, are the pivot tables and the pivot charts and the VBA, Visual Basic, uh, at the assembly level. Those are the big things. You get those at Wall Street Prep. Not sure you're going to get much of it in the LinkedIn version, but it's still decent. What else is important to you out there is, the, well, programming languages. If you are really into it, Python, R, are big, C++ and Java, those are the heavies. One of those wouldn't hurt for you to have it before you're finished, and I can even point you to somewhere there are some pretty good courses that aren't very expensive in those. It also wouldn't hurt you to get involved with artificial intelligence either. Don't recommend that certification program by IBM. It was way too much like work, but get used to it because you will be interacting. Well, you are interacting all the time now with AI. Chat GPTs are everywhere. Your car that you're driving is an AI, has AI systems in it. And so it's just a matter of how far you want to understand and get weirded out by what's going on out there. It's really creepy. If people even knew what, had a clue as to what's already happening, and this is just the beginning of it. Get to know that. But as I, in this class, at a minimum, I'm going to have you doing Excel, and you're going to be using Excel worksheets. You'll build them with me, and then you can use them on quizzes and your midterm and your final. You build a decent Excel worksheet where all you have to do is pull the numbers out of a word problem and push them into the right boxes in Excel, you've got your answers. That's what we're doing now. And of course, I don't think you're going to find hardly any other professor who's going this far. But we're already there. We might as well get used to the fact that this is how it works now in our lives and in our learning. That's about what I have for you today, and I will see you on Monday. I thank you.